Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today, uh, we are going to speak to an expert in the field about creating a life plan when you have kidney disease. Now, I know a lot of people think that they don't want to do that. They just thinking of what do I got to do today? What do I, you know, what do I got to get through the week? But I can tell you as a kidney survivor for, God, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, 54 years. Oh, my God. I know. I know. 54 years. I'll be 50. I'm 56 since I was two. And I I just can't believe I'm, I mean, you know, we all think we're like 20. It doesn't matter how old you are. You always think you're about 20. Well, and Lori, we met in, I think it was 1992. It was, I think we met. 30 years ago. Yeah, we, I mean, next year is the 30 year anniversary of RSN. So it's been a long time. And, you know, having a life plan, knowing your options, educating yourself so that you are well prepared to know what your choices and options are is critical to surviving and thriving with this illness. And I cannot express that enough, everyone. Um, And today we're going to be speaking about Medical Education Institute create a plan called My Kidney Life Plan. And today we are going to be speaking to Dori Chattel, who's the Executive Director of Medical Education Institute. And she's going to tell us a little bit about it. So welcome to the program, Dori. Thank you so much. This is my third time and I am thrilled to be back. Well, it's, you know, you always have some great information to, to give to people who are living in, with this illness and their families. So can you tell us a little bit about why was this tool needed and why was it developed? So I'll tell you a little story. Um, when 11 years ago, um, my husband came to, we, we moved to Maryland so my husband could go to work for the Medicare Innovation Center. And the first friend he made at the Innovation Center had unfortunately been recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. And we didn't know him well enough to start talking about his prostate and his treatment options. I mean, that's a little personal. But but just for myself, I started just doing some research online and realizing that all of the decision support for people who had to make that particular decision, you know, chemo, radiation, surgery... It all was very, I would call it modality first. You know, it's telling you about the treatment. We can do this treatment, we can do that treatment, we can do this other treatment. But that's, it really struck me when I was looking at it that that's not really the information that people want or need when they have to make a decision. It's not so much what treatment do I want because, hey, nobody wants any of them. Right. Right. I, I mean, it's not like, <laughs> Yeah, they're not going to line up and volunteer to get a transplant or do any kind of dialysis. You do it because you need it to live. But nobody wants to need it. <laughs> nobody joins this club voluntarily. <laughs> exactly. And, and But I, I feel like we've lost track of that. And it's and even those of us who are, you know, transplant and home dialysis, you know, passionate advocates, we just kind of have to keep in mind that, while these may be the best of the alternatives, 
Nobody wants any of them. And so we're starting in the wrong place talking about which treatment should work because where we need to start is what matters to you? What makes you want to get up in the morning? What brings you joy? And from there, which of the options will let you keep those things that make your life worthwhile? And that's where we need to start for prostate cancer, for kidney failure, for really any treatment that affects your day-to-day life. We've been starting in the wrong place. So our aim was to fix that, to start in the right place. So the first version was uh, my life, my dialysis choice, and that one only had dialysis. It was already, it was always our intention to include transplant and conservative management, but we just, we really did try the first time. It took us three years to build that first tool and we just could not figure it out. But this time we did it. And this time the tool has all of the treatment options and they can be turned on or off as a group. So you can like, you can turn on all of dialysis or you can turn on transplant. You can turn on comfort care. You can turn off the ones you're not interested in. You know, I, I hope that if you're 33 years old, you're not going to look at comfort care as a, as a reasonable option. But you know what? It really just depends on your life circumstances. Well, and I, you know, I have this discussion a lot. You say comfort care, but, you know, I get a call from a family member and their their mom is, you know, 92 years old and needs dialysis, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and she's 92 pounds. And, and uh-huh. I know, I know that life's going to be very torturous if yep. she chooses to, to do dialysis. I mean, not always, but you got to pay a little attention to statistics. You know, you got to just know the facts. And if you have little tiny veins <laughs> and um, yeah. you just, and, you know, poor circulatory system, you you don't do well with an access. No, and, and even worse than that, if you have dementia and you don't even know why you're getting poked with giant needles three times a week, Right, and you scream for the whole treatment because you don't understand what's happening. That is, it's medical torture that doesn't do anybody any favors. I and I've witnessed it several occasions. Um, you know, I actually, you know, remember a certain occasion. It's very sad, but the family was keeping um, the family member alive because the family member got the, the check. <laughs> that unfortunately, that. Um, and it's just, I know it's, it's really, it's really sad, but, um, you know, I'm a big believer that dialysis is to improve or keep your quality of life, you know, not just extend your life. Um, if it's, if it's not for, um, but that's my belief. And so if I took your, my, (laughs) if I took your, my kidney life plan, um, I would definitely reflect that. So, you know, I think one of the things that's really important is, you know, I mean, who should use this tool? But I think before we do that, we should talk a little bit about what we got to go through the treatment options. I still, till I'm blue in the face, you know, have to educate people about all the treatment options. And and sadly, some treatment <laughs> options are just, are just not available. You know, I mean, they're just not right. being... Because, you know, it takes a certain amount of scale for a facility to adopt them, and they have a hard time getting over that hump sometimes. So they just focus on, you know, uh, narrowing their off what they offer. Yeah, the, the frequent hemodialysis network trial that was done through NIH mm-hmm. and, and kind of centered at Wake Forest University 
really hammered a nail into the coffin of nocturnal hemodialysis because it was the study wasn't powered well enough to find results, but yet they published their data anyway. And the data didn't look good, and they, it, it was unfortunately very badly done. And as a result of that, we really saw nocturnal home hemo programs plummet in the U.S. There are wow. not as many of them as there were before. Well, and it's, you know, I know a lot of people who do nocturnal home hemo, well, they just do it themselves at night. I mean, and it's really frustrating because, you know, if you know anybody who's had dinner with me, you know, I talk about the crit line. And many years ago, I know, (laughs) I I, I still can't get over that it should be a standard of care. And the, um, it should be, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. You know, the same thing happened to the crit line is they decided to pick a, a bunch of patients at a clinic who were sick, put the crit line on them and not pay attention to it. And then they were wondering why they had more patients that were on the crit line. Who, who had mm-hmm. worse outcomes. Right. And it was frustrating to me because it's like, you know, the crit line can't cause any harm. It's a tool. you got to interpret it. Yeah. And, you know, you have to understand what it's saying. And, you know, that study did more damage because I still today when I go out to dinner, if, if anybody will have dinner with me because they know <laughs> that I can't help myself. <laughs> and it's it's very frustrating because they always bring up this study. Always. And I'm like, and it's, you know, what's really sad as a patient, I mean, I like to stay well informed, but I don't spend all my day reading studies. So, you know, it's very hard to come back when you're not, you know, that's not your specialty is to know every piece of data. Um, And, you know, you get shot down because you're like, well, you didn't know this. And I'm like, well, I do know this, you know, and then you're like, you know, then then you don't have dessert. You leave the restaurant and you're no, I'm just kidding. But but it's it's, you know, it's very frustrating. Critline would help with one of the biggest challenges with standard in center hemo, which is pulling off water either too much or too quickly and stunning people's organs so they feel horrible and they quit. You know, I actually had that conversation and we're digressing a little bit, but, you know, there's there's a little bit of a misconception about, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, send people to PD, which is, you know, my treatment option choice if I had to do dialysis. Yep. And, you know, people keep their kidney function, right? Well, there's a reason they keep their kidney function. It's because they're not drying out their kidneys. And the same should be true with hemo. That should be, they should not allow a patient to dialyze without the crit line, period. But especially when they have kidney function. Because you can just whack your existing kidney function. And that can be the difference of eating, drinking, you know, medication, everything. Exactly. And it happens really fast. And it's worse than those first couple months when people start treatment. They still have residual function. Right. And they pull off all the fluid anyway. And it's not there to be pulled off. Yes. And and we'll have to have another conversation on this because I'm also very passionate about you know, people at home, because I did home dialysis. And, and the same is true, because I was having a conversation with one of our members, and you know, they're on home hemo, and, you know, they're getting a transplant, and uh, they want to get a transplant, they're losing weight, and their dry weight wasn't adjusted. 
Oh. Um, and you know, ends up oh, with CHF. No good can, well, but, no but, good can come of that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, this is the problem when you're doing home therapies. You know, you need to, you know, that that driveway is a moving target, and you got to make sure that you're uh, assessing it <laughs> all the time. Um, but anyways, okay, let's yep. move on. Uh, okay. So, um, so let's talk about. So we have not. So explain the different from PD and hemo. Well, okay. There's actually, there's seven different ways to do dialysis. So everybody thinks of PD and hemo, but there's two ways to do PD with or without a cycler. So you can do manual exchanges. Did you use a cycler or did you do manual? I Well, there wasn't a cycler when I first started. There was only manual. Oh, my goodness. And, oh, and so I've done both. I did, I did PD okay. and I did the cycler for nine years. Right. And they're, they're different, aren't they? They affect your life differently. You know, but I when I was on the cycler, I would just go on the, the exchanges if I wanted to go camping or something. Yep. And yep. so I had the best of both worlds with the cycler. Yeah, yeah, because you can do manuals when you need to. Exactly. Agree. And, and flexibility is important so that people can live their best lives. So there's five ways to do hemo. You can do it in a clinic. You can do what we call standard in center hemo. You go to a clinic three times a week. You get three or four hours. I hope it's four and not three. I know people want less, but, you know, the challenge with that is it tends to be very harsh. And what people don't think about is four days a week, you're not getting any, you know, you're not getting any, no waters removed, no toxins are removed. You do PD every day. That's part of the reason it can be gentle. In-center hemo is the opposite of gentle. So... That's one way to do it. It can be done in-center nocturnally, so at night while you sleep, which ends up usually being from like 8 p.m. to 4 a.m., which weirdly does work for some people's schedules because I look at that and think, you got to be kidding. Right. (laughs) But for some people, they really love it, and they get twice as much treatment, and it's much more gentle, and they can work because they can do it, you know, at night while they sleep, and they can get up in the morning, and they can go home and shower and go to work. So that's two ways to do it in center. And then there's three ways to do it at home. You can do a standard schedule, you know, three times a week. Maybe you do five hours instead of three or four. Or maybe you do every other day instead of having a two-day gap with no treatment. You can do it a short daily or just daily. So that means you might do a two-and-a-half to three, four-hour treatment five or six days a week. Or you can do it as nocturnal while you sleep, which we mentioned before. So there's seven ways to do dialysis. There's transplant, which is, you know, not just arguably, but from the standpoint of the literature, the best option for living as long as possible. And then how people do with a transplant can vary a lot. You've done great with yours. Most people do great. Not everybody does great, but most people do. Um, and then there's, you know, conservative management where you're not trying to extend life. You are not doing dialysis or a transplant. You are doing, hopefully, palliative care, hospice care, symptom management so that you still feel your best. And if people don't start dialysis, they can sometimes live two or three years without it and feel better than they would if they went to that clinic three times a week and got to that. 
Well, and, you know, we're learning a lot about GFR, and we did a whole podcast with a doctor on it. You know, not all GFRs are equal. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, somebody, I mean, if, you know, my mom had a 23 GFR. She lived 10 years. Right. And right. and um, we managed all of her other things, and she did. She died of something else. Uh, I remember but, your mom. But you remember, it, it's just interesting. And you know, I did all the things to make sure you know she didn't take any non-steroidal medication. She, yeah, you know, yep. didn't take any antibiotics that were nephrotoxic. Yeah, you know, because it's the function she had. You know, yeah. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you just can't go to a doctor and take whatever they give you. you got to check with your kidney doctor um, so it doesn't further um, harm your existing kidney function. And it's a little crazy that we have to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but I know, I know. It's too bad, but it's so necessary it's so necessary because you know everybody takes a cup of care of a part of the body and um yeah, and um, silos. exactly like you have a left arm doctor and a right leg doctor <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean it, it well you know you laugh i do i have a hip doctor and an ankle doctor and, <laughs> and, and if i ever, if I ever right? wanted a shoulder doctor <laughs> i could get a different doctor and i don't i mean it's true i mean uh, you, you know don't laugh because that's really a reality it, but you know it's it's great that we have such specialists because um but then you know the downside is you got to be on top of your care and help people understand the different facets of what's going on. So you, um, you and yeah, you and your your primary care doctor kind of have to be your general contractors. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I just kind of take it over, and I got my nephrologist trained. Um, and you know, it takes some time. You got to train your doctors, and and you know, and I say that in a good way. I mean, I don't want him to come back and say I trained him, but you know, he knows that um, we have a way of communicating, and you know what I need, what he needs, and how we communicate with each other. And uh, I have to say, the portal system for healthcare is just. If we didn't have so many, if we had just one, but it's just a wonderful way to be able to get information from your medical team. And I highly suggest everybody really do that. Is. I use mine so much. Yes. You can email the night and you can send a question, you know, yeah. instead of like calling and, and putting on hold. The next yeah. Exactly. It's wonderful. I just got to remember my passwords. Um, <laughs> so what are some of the questions that are asked about this, this, my kidney life plan tool? You know, it's pretty new, so I'm not sure that we've seen too many questions asked about it. One of the, you know, this is another thing like the crit line that, that I think needs to become a standard of care. You know, having, having a, an evidence-based decision aid, this thing is based on like a thousand references. We took an entire year to update the book and all of the literature in it. So, and then we sent it out to a bunch of experts to have them review it, and we incorporated their comments. And you know, we made it as good as we possibly can. You know, we buffed it and we shined it up. But um, you know, the challenges with it are it really needs to be used online. It, it's not really possible to do a paper version of it because it would be oh gosh, like 30 pages and you have to add up things by hand and it's just, it's just silly. It's, it's, it's an online tool. It's made to be used on, like a tablet is good, a big tablet. So not everybody's great with a tablet. 
You know, I mean, some of our seniors, especially, they need a social worker or a tech or somebody to sit down with them and help them because the technology is, it's pretty accessible, but everybody's not there yet. They don't know how to turn on the computer. There are still people who do not know how to turn on a computer. No, my mother-in-law never did learn. And then my mom, who was 10 years younger, had an iWatch. Okay, I still don't have an iWatch. She's had one for years. So, (laughs) you know, the seniors and the seniors, everybody's different. So this tool, there is actually a video built right into it that shows you how to use it. So that hopefully makes it pretty easy. It's super easy to read. It's not meant to be the be-all, end-all. You know, it's not going to tell you everything about everything. It's meant to help you figure out what's important to you, what your motivation is, what looks like it will fit you the best. And then once you know that, you're likely to be less terrified because the unknown is so scary, right? Right. So once you know those things, you're not as scared. When you're not as scared, your mind can open up and you can learn because we can't learn when we're afraid. It's not even possible. Even if we want to, we can't do it. So this tool is critical for helping people get past fear to hope, which I know you and I are in passionate agreement about how important hope is. And, and then they can learn more. So if something looks good, like PD looks good for where they are in their lives right now, then they can choose to learn more about PD and they'll want to learn more because they get why they might want to do it even though they don't, they don't want to need any kind of treatment. Right. No, you, you, you know, if you're fearful and denial, it's really hard to make a choice. Yeah. And, you know, that's when the family member comes in play to really help or friend somebody that, you know, you need to pull somebody in and say, can you just really help go through this information with me? So, because it's always easier to digest it when you're, you're talking to somebody. And then, of course, right. you know, Luckily, you know, there's a lot of, we have a Zoom support group. We, there's a lot of support groups out there. You know, if you're confused, just go, go to a support group or go anywhere, go Facebook, all the different uh, groups out there that you can go and connect to other people who have experience with different treatment options. Um, the one word that I have of caution is that people's bias comes in, right? Because they're like, yes. if they had an experience with something. Yes. It's, I've seen this about 42 million times in the various Facebook groups. Somebody comes in and goes, oh my God, my kidneys are failing. I need to choose a treatment option. Help. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. Which is better, hemo or PD? And then you get, I did PD and it was terrible. I did PD and it was great. I did hemo. It was terrible. I did hemo. It was great. And people are like, <laughs> oh my God, I, this does not help me at all. I don't know what to do. Exactly. That's the whole point of having a tool where you start with, What's the most important? I remember there was one guy in, I think it was the dialysis discussion on Sensor Group, who was in that position and was asking that question. I said, I said to him, I said, well, what matters to you? What is it that you love to do? He said, oh, my, my great passion is fixing motorcycles. I love motorcycles. I ride them. I repair them. And I said, well, you know, Given that that's what you want to be able to do, PD would probably be a really good fit for you because your your energy level is going to be pretty constant and you're not going to have to take time out of your day three times a week to, you know, to go and be in a clinic and then maybe feel pretty, you know, pretty tired afterwards. And he picked PD and he loved it. And that 
really kind of kicked off building this tool. I'm like, okay, this really actually seems to work because we've been kind of thinking about it, but, but actually trying it out on somebody, it really helps. Well, and, you know, the reality is, sadly, that, you know, you have to look at where you live. Oh, yeah. Because if you wanted to do, you know, a certain treatment option, um, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about this, not all options are available in your area. Yeah. In, in Center Steamo is available just about anywhere. Montana's tricky because it's so spread out, and I've got to guess that, like, Wyoming would be pretty similar because there's, like, 11 people who live in Wyoming. <laughs> but, um, you know, people end up on vans for hours and hours. It's, you know, it's, it's rough. But PD is available just about everywhere also. It's when you start getting to home hemo. At this point, daily home hemo, pretty available. Nocturnal home hemo, nocturnal in-center hemo, way less available, which is too bad. Right. And transplant, of course, the wait time just depends on where you live. Where you live and, you know, if you have somebody going to donate a kidney. And, you know, yep. I had a friend of mine on nocturnal home hemo, and one of the big issues they had, uh, and, and it makes sense because there's an neurologist shortage, nobody wanted to round at night in the middle oh, of the yeah. night. And, you know, yeah. that also plays a role, too, because... That, I have not, I hadn't thought of that, but that is a really good point. We have a workforce crisis in this country. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it drives practice. And if you are you're so busy and I'm like, well, I can't get up in the middle of the night and go to the home hemo unit. And also for staff as well, you know, not everybody likes to work the graveyard shift. So um, it might be, and that was a horrible term, but my, my, I'm from I the graveyard <laughs> shift in dialysis. What is wrong with me? Yeah, um, I'm from Vegas. I'm in Vegas. I'm from Vegas. So a lot of my families would say, oh, I work the graveyard shift. So because um, yeah. they're open 24 hours. But it's, um, you know, it is a good option. And I know I'm one doctor <laughs> that um, has a home hemodialysis nocturnal. And, you know, it's just hard for me to believe. And there's a lot of people out there right now that, you know, are homeless. Right, and they did. They did the nocturnal home email program. Um, that's what he was that telling me. Great idea! What uh, a clever thing to do. You know, and it's it's yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, that is so compassionate. It's yeah. I mean, you know, several of his patients were you know either didn't have a home or living on a couch or whatever. You know, um, because it's we're going to have, you know, slight. Sadly, you know. Uh, more and more people are not being able to financially make it. Um, yep. <laughs> I think we need to talk about the benefits of home um, because I think it's important with people listening to this. We want you to make your own choice. But as a long-term advocate <laughs> and somebody who was on dia both PD and hemo for 10 years, you know, it's important, I believe, that doing dialysis yourself is the best way um, because of the fact that you're in control, you're in control of your schedule, you know what's going on. I mean, I went to the clinic for many years and, you know, you can catch everything that's at a clinic. Um, and sadly, yeah. you see people. You catch COVID at a clinic. 
Well, and you sadly home picked up during COVID. Well, you sadly see too. You know, some people on the end of their life. Yep. And it's it's hard. You know, it's hard to see that. It was for me. It's very hard to lose people during a treatment. You're on the machine, and somebody across from you has a flight of paramedics trying to help them. It's terrifying. It's terrifying, and um, and then there is just some cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs people who dialyze. And um, and I actually sat next to one. Um, oh, and goodness. I think he had dementia. Yeah. It, it's hard because, you know, he would just blurt out things at the nurses and blurt and just, you know, just he didn't know what was going on. But, you know, it was quite miserable. And, you know, where do they dialyze him? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he has a yep. choice to dialyze. So, um he can't do home his family unless his family did it. So right. um, it's it's kind of a quandary. So you're kind of put into a melting pot of people. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I always say every time I went to treatment was like going to Thanksgiving dinner. You're gonna like some of them, <laughs> and you're not gonna like the others. It's just a reality. <laughs> and, and you try to sit next to the ones that you like. That's that's the oh, rule, gosh. right? <laughs> Yep. That's wrong, please. <laughs> I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, but, oh uh, yeah, God. tell us a little bit of the benefits. And um, and then maybe we could just review the barriers so people, um, you know, or, or how the tool addresses them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm with you on the importance of control. There is, um, well, yeah, there's there's no way if, if my kidney's failed, there is okay, no clinic would want me. I'm way too outspoken. They would not want me in there influencing everybody else. They would be like, okay, you need to go home now. But um, (laughs) you do have control. And for a lot of us, control is absolutely critical. In fact, self-determination theory, which is the, the motivational underpinning that we use in all of our educational materials at MEI, Control is, or they call it autonomy, but it's control. It is an absolutely critical psychological principle that needs to be met for people to grow and thrive and be joyful and, and live their best lives. You know, it's very difficult to live your best life if you feel like life happens to you, you have no control over anything, and you're just kind of buffeted by the tides. So control and autonomy are critical, you know? Right. They, they just are. And, and beyond that, not just control of I'm going to do this treatment and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all the steps of this treatment, but when I'm going to do this treatment, where I'm going to do this treatment, I'm going to take this treatment with me on the road. I'm going to take it camping, you know? I mean, that's another form of control is being able to live your life. You know, I'm going to take it to work. There are people who do PD and they, they take it to work and they have a, you know, a, a room they're able to do their exchanges in. Or they travel, or they go to school. I mean, we did a webinar last night, and we had folks who had done all of those things while while they were on food. Your life goes by anyway. It could take years to get that transplant. Sometimes it takes a lot of years. You know, one of the one of the women on our webinar last night who did PD for eight years, and that's how long she waited to get that transplant. She didn't just kind of twiddle her thumbs and wait. She went to school. She got a degree. She got a job as a teacher. 
And she did all of that while she was on TV. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the main problem is, is a lot of people who aren't in control and let life happen to them. Um, it's hard to think of you having a future if you have that mindset. Once you True. take control... You're yep. like, oh, my God, you know, God, could I learn a skill when I'm, you know, sitting on dialysis or, you right? know, something like that. It's it's a different mindset. I'm totally in agreement. So my my friend Henning likes to say, and I, I love this because I think it really resonates with people. He likes to say that once he learned how to put his needles in, he would never, ever let anybody else do that for him any more than they would let him, he would let them brush his teeth for him. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. No, having somebody brush your teeth is not fun. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, okay, I haven't had that happen since I was probably two, but no, it's not fun to have somebody else do things to you. Even things that, you know, do you really want giant needles? Of course not. Nobody wants giant needles. The giant needles in your own hands are so much less scary than giant needles in the hands of who knows who happens to be on that shift. Exactly. And different people. That's the other issue. Yes. Yes. Well, well, you know, so tell how do people find out about this tool? Uh, where do they go and what should they expect? So the tool is online and it's free and it's in English and Spanish. So if you just go to mykidneylifeplan.org. If you go to .com, you'll get there too, but it's actually .org because we're a nonprofit. And we are getting the word out like the end-stage renal disease networks to um, disease management companies to podcasts like this one, you know, to, to help raise awareness that this tool exists and is useful. We had it at ASN. We did a booth at the American Society of Nephrology meeting. So we showed it to people there. We have postcards that we can mail out for free, you know, in, in batches if people want to give those out at health fairs or, you know, bring them into their clinic. Doctors' offices could use them. You know, there's it, getting raising awareness is always challenging, and you are really, really good at it. You are, I think, better at doing that than we are. Uh, I just like to be a little provocative <laughs> uh, when okay. I post things. I'm serious. Do you notice that in my posts? Do you notice that not? And maybe that's not a right word, but I try to make it hopeful, happy, and. Yes. And, and yes. you know, just something like we're just normal people and because we are just normal people. And, and it's, I know, people. but I feel oftentimes I look at other places and I'm like, God, that makes me feel sick. <laughs> I don't want to feel sick. Oh. I want to feel hopeful. No. And so, no. um, so I, right. I'm, I'm a big push of that image and, you know, cause I'm, I know, uh, maybe it's because I'm into art and creativity and imagery really impacts how you feel. And Absolutely. so I'm we, very we mindful. So- careful about our images we use a lot of blue sky and looking up and bright colors and no black gloomy colors and we're super super careful about the images that we use well in a funny story before we wrap up when i was writing my book chronically happy and you know i think i would probably update the cover even more you know if i ever relaunch it but um the first covers came with a bunch of clouds that's mm-hmm. what you know and i'm like 
that reminds me like I'm going to heaven or something. Yeah. I don't want clouds. I don't want gloomy. Right. I don't want any of that. You know, like I, I want, and, it, and it's interesting because I was all about hope and illness is too demanding when you don't have hope, right? But I'm kind right. of moving a little bit up the bar and and thinking, well, you know, you can have hope, but what we really want is we want people with this illness to flourish. Yeah. We want them to flourish. So you can have hope and feel like crap. Um, so to flourish, you have to get your plan in order, everybody. Um, and you can flourish with this illness, I promise. True. I have seen so many people over the almost 34 years I've worked in this field, I've seen so many people flourish. I've seen lots of people not flourish, but it is absolutely possible to flourish. And that's exactly. what we want, too. Well, um, everyone, um, you know, go to mykidneylifeplan.org, learn the facts, share the message. Uh, Dory, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom and always looking to improve the lives of people with kidney disease by giving them, uh, you know, wonderful in- educational information. Um, you know, it's, it's recognized and you've been doing this a long time. So we appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.